Who there, this is A.D. Robles, and you're listening to A.D. on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. All right. I, I promise I do not wait for the chickens to start squawking. I, and In fact, the, the chickens were quiet all morning. I was like, okay, cool. Let me just record before the chickens start laying eggs. And as soon as I got the everything ready, they started squawking. So sorry about that. Um, but before we begin, let me just say this. I, I, uh, I, we've had a good couple weeks of sales when it comes to the Social Justice Pharisees book, and I'm starting to send out the books that I wanted to send to Big Eva people, people that are woke and all that. And I've got in my hand three books that we're sending out today. We sent the two from yesterday uh, to Joe Carter and David Platt. These are for Eric Mason, Paul Tripp, and Kurt Kennedy. Um, and so, you know, to be honest, like, I, I don't expect hardly any of these people to read these books because that's just not their mo they really just don't think that our side has anything valuable to say they think that we're white supremacists they think that we're bigots they think that we're racist and so why listen to a racist right like would you read you know uh you know a a neo-nazi book sent to you i mean probably not and that's really how they, they conceive of us it's a really sad state of affairs they have no evidence of us being racist but they call us racist all the time and what I wanted to share with you is when I was when I was considering hiring an editor for my book, which I had to do because I needed a copy edit at least, I also reached out to a few people that kind of did, you know, some some more creative stuff, not just copy edits, but also, you know, some of the content and all of that. And this one person that I had contacted had mentioned to me that, you know, they would do a copy edit only, but they really wanted to do a content edit on my book. And the reason why was because um, not so much my tone, although a little bit of that, you know, they thought that the tone was a little aggressive, but it could work. But their big problem was that I was naming too many names, right? I was being too pointed with my criticism. And if you've read my book or even read a part of it, I know a lot of you have. By the way, let me know what you think. Um, You know that I quote a lot of these people. I quote Eric Mason. I quote Matt Chandler. I quote, quote David Platt. I quote Thabiti. I quote a lot of people directly. And when I considered, you know, maybe not doing that, but the reality is that we've got too many books like that where they're just taking shots across the bow and they're not really naming names. And to me, even if it means my book will sell less, I want to do it because I am so sick of letting people get too much wiggle room here. That's how this error spreads. You're like, well, I'm against critical theory. And then your opponent, the one who's teaching critical theory in the seminary says, well, I'm against critical theory too. And it's like, that's that, that we cannot allow them to do that anymore. And so from now on, I'm just, I mean, not from now on, I've been doing this this entire time. I'm quoting you. I'm going to say, this is the offensive part. I don't care about critical theory. In fact, my book, I think, barely mentions the word critical theory. I think it mentions it once, if I'm not mistaken, and it's because I'm quoting somebody else. It's, it's, I'm quoting one of these people that's claiming I'm not a critical theorist. I don't, I don't go down that road. I don't go down that road. I don't care about the terms. I don't care what you call yourself. What I care about is the parts of your teaching that is not a sub-biblical and in many ways anti-biblical. And so that's what I wanted this book to be. And the person that I talked to said the book won't sell that well if you name names. I disagree. I think it will sell well. But even if it doesn't, it's worth it because we have a lot of books that don't name names and I'm I'm done with that. It's not working. It's not going to work. It allows this error to fester in our churches. 
and we just can't do that anymore. So um, if you like the book, uh, please let me know. If you um, you know, have any criticisms for me, let me know that as well. Um, but uh, please consider, if you haven't doing so already, purchasing a copy of Social Justice Pharisees, Woke Church Tactics, and How to Engage Them. I'm selling it on eBay. You can see my posting. Uh, I'll put it in the link to this uh, of this show. And I'm also, if you email me, I can we can talk about that as well. ad at adrobles.com. You can pay in, pay in U.S. dollars. I'll give you a great deal if you pay in silver. A number of you have taken me up on that, by the way. I'll give you three books for an ounce of silver. Um, anyway, uh, so so yeah, you know, honestly, at the end of the day, that's that was my thought process here, and I wanted to make sure that this book, it, if you disagreed with it, you're going to have to come with some solid you know, arguments. You can't just say, well, I'm not a critical theorist because I believe in God. Like, that's what they do. It's so slimy. Um, but, excuse me. Anyway, that's, that's, that's what I wanted to talk about at the beginning here. Let's do some, uh, some video responses, shall we? I wanted to do Kurt Kennedy, which is Kurt Allen, who I'm sending this book to. And then also a Paul Tripp one. And uh, we've done so much Eric Mason that I'm not going to revisit Eric Mason at this time. You know, maybe he'll say something stupid in the future that I'll, that, we'll, that we'll revisit. But um, I just wanted to watch these and, and just have a little fun with it. You know, let's, let's do a live response. I actually haven't seen this clip. I've seen the Paul Tripp clip. Um, but uh, this, this one with Kurt Kennedy will be a live reaction. So you'll see, you know, exactly how I think real time. By the way, I found out that Kurt Allen graduated from Watkins Mill High School in Maryland, which, if I'm not mistaken, is in the same uh, district as the school I graduated from, Quince Orchard. When I was a kid, we moved my senior year of high school from Connecticut to uh, Maryland, and I graduated from Quince Orchard High School. Uh, I lived in Gaithersburg, or as the, the, the rich people that lived in my neighborhood called it, North Potomac, because I think North Potomac sounds nicer than, uh, than Gaithersburg. Um, but yeah, my dad got a great job in Maryland, and uh, we, were actually, we were actually supposed to move to California. Here, here's where our situation was. He got a job in California, the Bay Area, and Providence is, is, is amazing, right? He got a job in the Bay Area, and then he accepted it. And then, right before we were, we, you know, we went out to look for houses and stuff. Right before we 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 moved, they actually canceled that project, but they wanted to keep him, and they moved him to Maryland. He didn't want to move to Maryland. My father did not want to move to Maryland. He did want to move to California, but he didn't want to move to Maryland. So, um, but the good news, and, and they knew that, and so they actually kept his salary right around where it was going to be in California, which was advantageous to us because even though D.C. area is expensive at the time, it wasn't quite as expensive as you know the Bay Area. So uh, we actually got you know really lucky in that regard, very providential, and um, and yeah, so so Quince Orchard, that's where I grew up, man, or uh, not grew up, that's where I went, graduated high school, and actually Kurt preaches he's a pastor at a church close to college park maryland where i went to school so uh anyway i guess we have a lot of i guess we i guess you could say we we, we run in the same circles <laughs> this is b rabbit oh no is, oh is, no oh no i always do that i gotta get it in my ear so you guys don't hear the echo here we go social justice mm. and what is biblical justice and as after Tim finished, I, I started answering why I think Christians are drawn to social justice. And I was saying that because of the complicity of the church and slavery, that Christians don't have the kind of training mm. to know how to fight against justice or how to apply it because the church was complicit and failed for 400 years to really demonstrate. Wow. That, right. Vody cussed me off and says, 
I'm going to interrupt you. He says you are slandering the church. Ooh. And I mean, and it was, this was like 25 minutes in, like we was, this was what? at this point, there was no, there was no moral cause against nobody was calling nobody nothing. So he says, you're slandering the church right there. You know, it, How many right people were in the building? There was four or 500 people in the building. Oh my God. Yo, what, what is this going is through your mind at this very was it moment, like, brother? Was it like, what, <laughs> this is Kurt Kent. This, Straight I mean, silence. This, this is Vody Bakum, bro. Like, <laughs> so, sounds like Vody Bakum slapped him around. I actually didn't know they had a conversation. So that's kind of cool. Um, but you know, here, here's the thing. I, I, I kind of agree with something that Kurt said here. Um, not, don't, don't get crazy. Don't get crazy. I do think that there is an inadequacy in some Christian circles that makes social justice attractive. I don't think it's what he's saying, though. I don't think it's what he's saying. And, and I think that there were uh, definite some Christians who were complicit in some of the, the, the sins of slavery. Not every Christian church was, by the way. There, there were absolutely strong pockets of Presbyterians in particular that were like not having it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm talking conservative Presbyterians. They just weren't having it. Um, and they knew what was going on. And there were Baptists too. I don't mean to I don't mean to make it seem like Presbyterians are awesome. There were there were there were there were Baptists who had it right and Presbyterians who had it right, and there were Baptists who had it wrong and Presbyterians who had it wrong. That's very true. Um but the thing is though that like one of the things I notice about presentations like this, because people love, social justice advocates love talking about the, the church's complicity in racism, but they talk about it as if they're disconnected from the church, right? They, like, like, yeah, the church was complicit in racism, but I wasn't. And it's like, no, nah, no, nah. like you need to be identifying with that church. That's you. That's your people. If you're going to say that the church is complicit in racism or slavery, you need to own that, too. That's you, Kurt. That's you, whoever these other two guys are. <laughs> That's you if you're Christians, right? Because those are your people. In fact, there's a chapter in this book that talks about our identity uh, in Christ and our unity in Christ and how central that is to the gospel. If you don't have that, you don't have the gospel, right? And there's a there's a long quotation from Thabiti Anyabuli. It's the longest quotation in this book, and I had to quote it in its entirety because if if I didn't, you would think I was making it up if I summarized the quotation where, where Thabiti says that, you know, our, our identity in Christ is not what we need right now. What we need is identity with us as blacks. And it's like, no, <laughs> that's not what we need right now. What we need is identity in Christ. That's what we need. In fact, this is the only point of the book that I actually, I think I, I think this is the only point in the book where I quoted a theologian who's now passed away. Um, I, I quoted Calvin one time, and I, I, I tried to avoid that because I wanted it to be very kind of matter-of-fact and easy to, to understand. But this is, Calvin understands this, like our identity in Christ is, is central, it's paramount. Um, and, and it's just, I just find it so interesting how it's often talked about in that way where, where, where I'm social justice so I'm disconnected from the complicity of the church and slavery. And it's like, no, 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 no. If, if you're going to say that, and uh, I could quibble with that because I don't, I don't put that at the feet of the church. I put that at the feet of individuals in the church or people or individual churches or whatever. But the point is, if you're going to say that and you're going to just say, well, the church is complicit, you need to own that because that's you. 
Kurt Kennedy, man. Like, go ahead, go ahead. Tell me what's going through your head thing? at that like, very moment. That means nothing to me, right? Like I don't, I'm not intimidated yeah. at all. You built so for this. Sitting, you built for so this. I'm, man. I'm, so I'm struggling now because now you've called me a slanderer. That is, yeah. that's. There's a couple things there. One, that's a moral, that's a moral issue. You just said I'm slandering, mm. sinning against the church. You said it in front of four, five hundred people, mm, and most of these people are here to see you now. How now? However, I react, I can ruin this whole night. Mm. All of this is running through my head, and then I'm also thinking, like, dang, am I slandering the church? Like, I'm a believer. I don't want to. I'm so I'm, I'm wrestling with all of this, and I don't got time to be like, all right, cut. Let's go. This is all happening right now, live, right? So Vody starts saying you're slandering the bride of Christ, and it is only where the got where the church of the gospel of Jesus Christ has shown up that slavery has come to an end and all this stuff. So for you to sit here and say for 400 years that the church has done nothing about justice mm. is 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 absolutist language and all that. Oh, I forgot. So what I did agree with him, though, is that there is an inadequacy, though, because I think people are attracted to social justice because they realize that the Great Commission, there, there's, there's a couple components to that, right? Like, we need to convert people, right? We need to, we need to, we need to preach the gospel, right? And then, and then uh, baptize the nations, right? We need, to, we need to convert the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's part of the, of the Great Commission. And then the other part of the Great Commission is to disciple those people, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Now, that doesn't mean that the law is part of the gospel. It's not. But it is part of the Great Commission because what are we discipling them in? What are we teaching them? Well, we're teaching them uh, God's commands, right? The commands of Christ. And, and so we need to keep the gospel and the law separate. Of course, it's not the same thing. But when you're going in, going forth according to the Great Commission, you are teaching them to observe everything that Christ commands. You're teaching Christians to observe the law. And so we preach that gospel to the people. We baptize them. They're converted in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then we teach them to observe everything that Christ commands. Now, I think that some circles, not all, some circles in, in evangelicalism have seriously neglected the second part of that commission where we're teaching them to observe all that Christ commands. We, we, we're, we're doing a great job converting souls and we're, we're, we're baptizing, you know, tons of people get baptized, right? We want more to get baptized, but a lot of people do get baptized. But then it's like they go and they're not sure if they should use, you know, per, someone's personal pronouns. They're not sure if they should attend a gay wedding. They're not sure if they should even be gay. And it's like, well, how'd we miss that part? Because <laughs> if we were teaching them to obey everything Christ commands, they would know what to do, right? Or they, you know, at least, anyway. So th th I do think that there's some truth here. There's some inadequacy there in some circles that makes social justice attractive because social justice fills in that second part because it takes man's law and puts it in Christ's mouth and says, this is, see, we need to teach you how to live, but that law, that moral law, it's a little rough, so we're going to replace it with socialist law. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's what's attractive about social justice. It, it fills a gap that a lot of churches have because a lot of churches don't want to make people angry, and, and, and so it's attractive. We know we need to fill that gap with something, and so they fill it with social justice. In fact, there's a brother that I, I speak to pretty regularly. I was texting with him this morning, and and he was just lamenting that his church is not refusing to take stands on anything. 
on any political issue, any issue that's of importance. They don't want to bother people. And see, that's the hole, right? There's a hole there that needs to be filled with something. And so a lot of people fill it with social justice because social justice will get you pats on the back, right? Social justice will make the world like you. It's very attractive in that way. Stuff And I said, so he said all that. And I said, amen, amen. However, the church doesn't get a pat on the back for ending something it should have never participated in in the first place. Mm. Right, so we're going back and forth like that, right? So he called me a slanderer. So right after that, Jeez. I'm on the phone with KB, right? KB, I tell KB, I'm telling he, he's asking me what. You see, and see, Kurt, Kurt likes to. So this is the thing: a lot of the social justice advocates, a lot of the woke church, likes to sit, likes to emphasize the negatives in the church, but never the positives. And the positives don't count. It's always the negatives, and you can see that they. They really do treat it as if they're disconnected from the church. They're not part of that. That's that. That's them white people over there. That's not me. But it's like, nah, those are your people. That's what it says in the scripture. So whatever you want to say about the church complicity and, and slavery, we all know that, that that's oversimplified. We get it, right? We get it. Whatever you want to say about that, you need to be ready to own that. But they never are. Because they want to be in the position of the teacher. They want to be in the position of the Lord of the church. And it's really disturbing. Happened how to go. I'm telling KB everything that happened, right? KB gives me a quote from Charles Spurgeon. I want to read you this quote, my go brother. Ahead, go ahead. Because I want to show you what I'm talking about, about how, how, the, how all this stuff is happening. Here's the quote. That from This is from Charles Spurgeon around 1860, right? Here's what he says. It is the church of Christ that keeps his brethren under bondage. If it were not for that church, the system of slavery would go back to the hell from which it sprung. But what does the slaveholder say when you tell him that to hold our fellow creatures in bondage is a sin and a damnable one inconsistent with grace? He replies, I do not believe your slanders. Look at the bishop of so-and-so or the minister of such and such place. Is he not a good man? And does he not whine out curse be Canaan? Does he not quote Philemon and Onesimus? Does he not go and talk Bible and tell his slaves that they ought to feel grateful to be to being his slaves for God almighty made them on purpose so that they might enjoy the rare privilege of being cowhided by a Christian master. Don't tell me, he says, if the, if the thing were wrong, it would not have the church on its side. And so Christ free church bought with his blood, must bear the name, must bear the shame of cursing Africa and keeping her sons in bondage. Right? That's a great quotation, you know, and, and, I, and I, I like that quotation very much. But you see, this cuts both ways, right? Because this is exactly what I'm saying right now about Christian social justice advocates. They're, they're, they're teaming up. With, they're bringing error into the church um, that's very popular in our culture, right? They're bringing the world system. They're bringing the world's law. They're bringing pagan uh, nonsense into the church, and they're complicit in it, right? But the thing is, I'm not, br I'm not putting that at the feet of the church, right? I'm putting that at the feet of people within the church, right? Because not, we understand that not every Christian is perfect, right? We understand that not every Christian—well, we also understand that not every person who bears the name of Christ is an actual brother. There's false brethren, right? There's the pseudo-Delphoi. That's what, that's what James White always says. There's the false brethren as well. So, so we get that. We got to be on our guard, right? And so— but the thing is, it's never nuanced with the social justice advocate. It's like, nah, nah, the church was complicit, and the church was this. And so it's like an all-encompassing thing. And often what they do when they, when they say this is they're saying, the church is complicit, therefore the church isn't right now. The church is still complicit. Like, like, like it's never nuanced at all. It's never nuanced because I would nuance this. See, I, when, when I get on, on YouTube, right, 
I don't start railing against the church for the social justice uh, nonsense, right? I rail against people within the church, individuals who are complicit, like you, Kurt, like you, like Eric Mason, like KB, like the Bidiyanya Bwili. Like, like, again, this is why I think it's so necessary that we name names, because I'm not slandering the bride of Christ. I'm talking about specific people, specific movements within that church that are bringing error into the church, just like Paul did. You read Paul, and you see him addressing and confronting specific people and then specific groups of people within the church. Even, even if you look at Revelation, the letters that Christ sends to the churches, right? He's talking about specific he names, names. He gets specific. What he doesn't do is say, the church is responsible for all of the problems in our culture. Everything in the, in, in, in the culture is at the feet of the church. And it's like, nah, man. <laughs> nah, that's not how it is. Especially when you say it from a position of, I'm disconnected from that. I'm over here, and now you guys sit at my feet. And, and I'll tell you what to do. And the rest of the church, though, the white church, let's be real, the white church down here, they complicit. They had to listen to me. I don't like that. And it's not biblical. If you look at the scripture, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't act that way. God always has a distinguishing, uh, he always uh, distinguishes between his remnant and then those that are leading the people astray. Even look at how Christ reacts, right? This is, this is where I get... Um, this is where I get my, my goals for my content, right? You look at how Christ deals with people, right? And in the, the general pattern is, you know, the people that are being led astray, you know, the woman at the well, the, the, the crowds and stuff like that. Man, he's got compassion on those people, and he, he talks with them, and, and you, you can read in the words, there's, there's almost a tenderness there, right? There's almost a, uh, uh, um, he's willing to kind of, you know, walk people through it, right? You know, that kind of thing. And then you turn, you turn around, and he's dealing with the law, uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the lawyers, and he's ripping those people. And he's like, he's holding them accountable. And he's, he, has no, he has patience. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Christ's not patient. But when you read it, there's a lot less of that compassion that he had for the crowd. He's ripping those people. And so with my content, a pastor like Kirk Kennedy, I have less patience for him than the little old lady. There's, a, there's an old lady that comments on my YouTube channel. God bless her. She doesn't agree with me on everything, right? But but there's there's I, I I don't treat her the way I treat a Kirk Kennedy, the way I treat a Thabiti, the way I treat an Eric Mason, because there's two levels of responsibility there. There's two levels of authority there. Eric Mason knows better, and he's out there talking about them Angloids, you know, like like that kind of thing, right? Kirk Kennedy ought to know better, but you know that that's where we're at. That's where we're at, and so. That's the thing. That's the difference, man. Now think about what he says right here. He says, what does the person say when you say that there is inconsistent with grace? He says, I do not believe your slanders. That is exactly what Vody said to me 170 years later. You're slandering the bride of Christ. <clears throat> That's total, it's a totally different context, though, Kurt. Come on, man. It's a totally different context, Kurt, because in one case, guy saying something specific. Look, you're holding African slaves that were kidnapped, and that's inconsistent with, you know, the law of God. And it's definitely inconsistent with grace because these are your brothers and stuff like that. Um, that, that that's, that's true, right? And so this person is saying, well, you're slandering me because he disagrees with the content, right? And in this case, you're telling, the, you're telling him that the church, it's the whole church. 
no distinguishing uh, distinguishing between the, the the two, and then dis almost disconnecting yourself from it. I, I, I it's different. It's different. Do I would I have said you're slandering the bride of Christ? Well, I don't know. It depends on the context. Because here's the other thing about this that that I, I I've never seen the full video of this, and I, as I read the clip here. Apparently the whole video hasn't been out yet when he when he's talking about this. So we gotta we gotta take Kurt's word for it. And to be honest with you, Kurt's word doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> because he he sat there and literally lied about me for an entire podcast, except for one thing, which I, I had misremembered, so I had been caught in a lie. I instantly apologized for it. I called Kurt to apologize for his many lies against me, and he's never spoken to me. Never spoken to me. Kurt, my, my door is open, man. You've got my contact information. You've got my number. And that's all there is to it. And, and, and I will say this as well. I apologize to Kurt for one, one other thing as well. And I'm just going to be open about this because that's, that's how I am. Uh, in private DMs, I, 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 I antagonized Kurt a little bit. I, I said a few things to him that I was provoking him. I was intentionally trying to get a reaction. And the reason I was doing it was because I wanted him to have that conversation. And I was... I almost was like challenging his manhood a little bit and saying, oh, you, you, think you're a, you think you're a man, you talk big and bad, this and that, because he was kind of ribbing with me too. And I was like, so, so let's talk, let's do it. Let's have a conversation, phone call, man, no big deal. We don't even have to look at each other. And I was kind of, I was, I was egging him on, right? I was trying to provoke him. And I apologize for that, man. I shouldn't have done that. That was a bad strategy and I shouldn't have done I apologize for it. Um, and the reality is that like, that like this, this, is the, this is the point, this is the point. Like, like we, we, we need to be we need to be ready to defend ourselves when when we're when we're when we're accused of slander and stuff like that. We need to be ready to answer to that. Would I have said that you're slandering the bride of Christ? I don't know. It depends on the context. I don't know the details. And, and I, like I said, Kurt's word doesn't mean I don't trust him. <laughs> I don't think anyone should. I've got personal reasons not to trust him, but I just don't think anyone should. So anyway, uh, let's uh, let's continue and finish this out. I'll, I'll let him get the last. So word. even so, this is what I'm talking about. This is the stuff that even 170 years ago, Charles Spurgeon understood. Yeah, that this is this is wrong. And now to call the church's complicity into play, it says you're a slanderer. You're slandering the same exact word. So for me, brother, I feel like in situations like that, the Lord will vindicate me with the things that I'm saying and helping me see like, nah, that. That, that was accurate what I was bringing up. Mm, and while I, I understood what Wody was saying, I think it's 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 a misrepresentation of reality. Mm. Mm. Oh, oh. Yeah, well I was gonna do the, the Paul the Paul Trip clip. Paul trip clip. But uh but nah, I'm not gonna do it. I we've already done a whole response to this episode and this one's getting too long for a podcast. But uh, anyway, I hope you found that podcast helpful. Now, again, if you are interested in purchasing a copy of Social Justice Pharisees, Woke Church Tactics, and How to Engage Them, please uh, email me, 80 at 80robuzz.com. I've had a lot of people say that Chapter 5 has been one of the most eye-opening for them, and I'm glad about that because I was very happy with Chapter 5 and how it came out. Um, but yeah, man, this book is intended to be uh, very accessible. It's intended to be very... Uh, very much a book you can hand to anyone, even if they have no theological training whatsoever. It doesn't use complex doctrinal, you know, formulations or words. Not that there's anything wrong with those words, but that's not what I was writing the book for. I was writing this book for a street level, you know, person to person, you know, regardless of theological training, they can get value out of it and use it. Anyway, 
Uh, I hope you found this podcast helpful. God bless. Don't forget to tune in next week on Thursday for AD on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network.